Hello and welcome. I'm Herman Stewart. You are listening to the Finding Your Path podcast, a place where we hear from our guests on how they have found their paths in life, family and their careers. Today, we will be spending time with Darren Swift, who was a soldier in Her Majesty's forces until he experienced a life-threatening injury, so he had to change his direction along his path. There's nothing, nothing truer than, than the fact that you are not on your own. You don't need to be a victim of whatever your situation is. Do not see yourself as a victim. During this talk, Darren had so much to share about his career, upbringing, and the personal challenges he has had to overcome. This is good, so let's dive in. Welcome to another episode of Finding Your Path the podcast where we invite guests in to share their story and share their journey to how they got to where they are um, at present. So today I've got a great guest with me. I've got Darren Swift. Darren, how are you today, sir? I'm great. I'm great, Herman. Yeah, all good. All good. You've got a great story. And, and before we, we kick off, I'm going to share just a bit of your bio with everyone. So everyone at least gets a bit of flavour of who the man Swifty is, okay? Okay, yeah. So Swifty joined the British Army in 1982, leaving school at 16 and joining the 1st Battalion Royal Green Jackets. He served 10 years before being medically discharged as a result of injuries received in an IRA IED explosion in Belfast. He lost both his legs above his knees, a couple of fingers and received various other blast injuries. On leaving Her Majesty's forces, Swifty continued with his passion for travel and also found work as an extra supporting artist in film and TV. He still continues to do this work and has been fortunate enough to get the opportunity to become an actor in theatre, TV and film productions. Over the last 29 years and in between work opportunities, Swifty has become involved in various expeditions, both research and adventure, and has taken up a number of outdoor sports and activities. These include canoeing, hand cycling, skydiving, sit skiing, and snowboarding. After about 10 years of sit skiing, he discovered snowboarding. It is through this discipline that he has become involved with the armed forces para snowboard team wow swifty you've been busy haven't you yeah i tried to keep busy okay i tried there's an old um there's an old adage moving in the army uh old uh, um the old adage is uh moving targets are harder to hit yeah you know, and I, uh, I, I, <laughs> keep on the move nobody gets a bead on you so so i kind of yeah I, I, i've been quite busy the last 29 years uh yeah i don't wow. i don't tend to see the backside too much i mean just just listening to your story is so it's so inspiring because it's not as though you've stopped you, you you've had a number of things that's happened in your life which we will go further into as we go through the podcast but it hasn't prevented you from doing some amazing things which you know, i think you must be proud of yourself yeah, I've, um, I've I've managed to um, managed to a, a achieve a lot. Um, I've managed to push the boundaries. I think yes, uh, for yes. people with disabilities, not just veterans, but all people with disabilities. I've pushed the boundaries in many ways, um, and opened up doors 
for myself initially mm. and, and, mm. and hopefully doors for other people other people with disabilities and and the general public the public in general yeah yes so so we're, so we're talking about you doing things that you're proud of i mean what are some of the things that you're proud of um well first and foremost it's, it's having my daughter isabel uh, mm. i'm most proud of I, I suppose she's doing business yeah. uh, business studies now in in one of the universities um things that have made me have given me a boost uh and i i i feel i should be proud of is, is things like um uh becoming a skydiver myself and a friend alistair alistair hodgson he was he was blown up a year after me a year to the month after me and uh okay. we both spent a few years doing some stuff different sports and what have you and we both had a hankering to be uh to have a go at uh, a tandem skydive so we mm. did it and we landed respectively with our tandem partners we landed on this grass at the strop zone and yes. uh we both fell in love with it we thought it was just fantastic this thing to, to jump out of a plane and fly this canopy so we landed and we said to the boss uh you know, we want to do this on our own we don't want to do a tandem we want to do it on our own how do we go about doing that <laughs> and he scratched his chin and he, he's actually ex-forces as well he's ex, ex my regiment he scratched yeah. his chin and he said oh well i'm not sure i'm not sure if it's possible guys uh, but I'll look into it. And all the other skydivers around us, all these experienced people go, you can't, you can't skydive. There's no way you can skydive. You need knees, you need legs. Alistair's a double amputee, the same as me. I should have said that, sorry. And mm. uh, uh, and, and so we were like, oh, okay. Um, anyway, Dave got back to us uh, uh, a couple of months later and said he checked with the insurance people, he checked with the safety teams and all the rest of it and said, yeah, there's no reason why you can't have a go at doing the course. Mm. So Alistair and I set out on this on this path of, of, of becoming skydivers. We set out on the course. We both passed the course with flying colours and we became skydivers. And wow. uh, three years later, we were at the uh, British uh, Skydive Championships in Hibblestow, Yorkshire. And uh, we walked away with a gold medal. Both take great pride in showing that gold medal, making sure people that told us we couldn't skydive because you need knees, you need legs, mm. you can't skydive, you can't skydive. We take great pride mm. in that, um, that we, we, we do skydive. We did skydive. I, I, Alistair continues to skydive. I don't anymore. Um, okay. And we, have, we have a medal to prove that we can do it. Okay. So you said Alistair's continued doing the skydiving. And you no longer you no longer do. Why why have you why have you stopped? Is there something else that's a greater interest? Uh, I, well, I said to you at the start, I like to keep moving, so I I, I, felt, <laughs> uh, yeah. I felt that I I achieved that. I'd achieved what I wanted wanted to achieve in skydiving, and and, and uh, the mountains were calling me. Really, I needed to get back in the mountains. Um, I'd been a sit skier for a few years. Okay, uh, nothing really serious. A few competitions here and there, but. I did a bit of sit skiing and then um, I, I, I was on a sit skiing trip on my own actually in Italy and mm -hmm. uh, sat there with, doing the Italian lunch thing, a bottle of wine and a, a bowl of pasta and, uh, yeah. and watched these three young lads, snowboarders, coming down the mountain and I thought to myself, and this could, could have been the wine, but I thought to myself, I want to do that. That looks really yeah. cool. I want to do that. So I came home. And uh, I had a re very, very good friend, uh, Dale, Dale Renard. Uh, mm -hmm. He's, a, he's a, a product designer by trade. And uh, he and I sat in the pub, had a couple of beers and got a beer mat and we drew up 
that a rudimentary, a very basic design for a set of bindings that would allow me to attach myself with no legs to a snowboard. Mm. That was 16 wow. years. Uh, and now I'm snowboarding. Wow. So, so it's clear, I mean, just from listening to your story and from listening to your passion and, and listening to the fact that, you know, you're doing what people say is not possible and you're doing, you know, you're creating and, you know, you get engineering done for a board so that you can, you can go in it and, and, and break boundaries. Um, what kind of qualities do you feel? Um, inside of you and have encouraged you to be like that? I don't know. As with the skydiving, the, the snowboard, I was told you can't do it. You need knees to snowboard. You, 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 you can't do it swiftly. There's no way you can do this. It's not possible. Um, and to me, that was like a red rag to a ball. Um, so okay. I, I, I was kind of, maybe there's something in me. I don't know. Maybe there's a, a personality trait or something in me. Someone tells me not to do it. And this comes from someone who was in the army for 10 years. <laughs> uh, yes. <someone> <laughs> Someone tells me I can't do it or I shouldn't do it or you know, uh, is negative, then I I, I I sort of back up to that and I'm like, no, nah, no, nah, nah, I'm not having that. I, I want to do it. I want to give it a go. Mm. I want to know why you can't do it. I want to find out why you can't do this. Uh, yes. And so that's that's what sort of is my driving force, I suppose. Um, that's what I do. And, and, and just about everything I've done, it's usually because someone's told me I can't do it. So, so, you've, so, so you said... You know, you're in the army for ten years. Um, how how long did you want to be in the army before you was in the army? How how did you get that passion? I always wanted to travel. When I was a young boy, when I was when I was a, a wee lad, I um I always liked liked traveling. I loved just going on holiday with the family and stuff, and just it fascinated me to travel away from home, to go away from home and see something else, see something different. Um, and and so that that's always been in me, and I went all the way through my school days you know with this passion for travel i joined the cadets i joined the scouts and cubs and stuff and went away on camps and i love mm. that aspect of it and and about age 11 12 i, I realized that ah the army now that gives me a chance to travel and mm. also, i like rolling around in the mud a bit and and, <laughs> and being and the idea of being a soldier was 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 uh, attractive to me, so I, I thought, right, well, I'll mix the two things. I'll, I'll get to travel in the army. So, about age twelve, I, I made the decision. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to join the army, um, mm -hmm. and and I did. And I I I wasn't really, never was, um, very academic. I'm not. Uh, I've not got any education. I've not got any. Uh, I attended school, but I didn't really pay much attention, and I have no exams, yeah. but I, you know, qualifications. So. The army mm. seemed the best place. And I found out in, in those days, I joined at 16. I joined the army at 16. I found out you could do yeah. your education in the army. So okay. I thought, well, I'll, do it then. I'll do it then. Yeah. I never, I never did. But <laughs> uh, no, because the army just kept me busy doing other things. And I learned lots of other uh, stuff about life and about everything just in the army. That's my education, really. Okay, it'd be great to find out some of the things that you did learn in the army because I know sometimes when we think of the army, we do just think of soldiers a lot of times, but in the army there's engineers, there's chefs, there's all these different kind of different disciplines that people are developing in the army. So so could you share some of the things that you learnt within the army? Yeah, I mean, there, there was um, there's obviously physical skills that you learn in the army. Um, I was in mm -hmm. the infantry, 
not necessarily okay. a trade. Um, you're absolutely yes. right. There are engineers that you can learn anything from bricklaying to building bridges to whatever. There's all sorts mm-hmm. of things. Right? Uh, communications. Um, I was in the infantry, and and so I and I love that. I love being in the infantry. I love being a soldier. So I, I I embraced that, and and all the courses I did were more soldier based uh, mm. skills, handling, driving, that sort of thing. Um, mm. So I learned a lot of skills in that respect. But perhaps more importantly, I, I learned um, about people. Yes, I learned to I learned to be part of the team, and this is really obvious to everyone. You know that, that's what you do in the army. I learned to be part of the team, work as a team, mm. uh, be individual within that team um, yes. and, and and learn how to as i uh, i didn't really go up the ranks very high but you learn more about man management about yes. um, how to read people how to uh, to understand what someone's uh, uh, skills are what their skill set might be and using utilizing that for the good of the team um, mm-hmm. so lots of life lessons within the army uh, or yes. the military not just the army in the military um, mm. lots of um, uh, but but uh, learning. I was I, I did communications for a while as a radio operator. Uh, okay, driver of uh, track vehicles. Um, okay, I obviously all the weapons. Uh, learn all the weapons. Um, so so yeah, there was a lot of lot of things. I, before I got blown up, I'd become a dog handler. Okay, so you were working with the dogs. Yeah, yeah, I was a tracker dog handler. Um, which is when I got blown up. I was track. I was a tracker dog handler in Northern Ireland when I got blown up. And, okay. uh, and, I, and I loved that job. I absolutely loved it. And that was that was working with an animal. That was that was getting the, the best of that animal using that animal's skills uh, with mm. my skills um, to to track down uh, the bad people, uh, track down terrorists. Mm. Um, and 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 that was a great job. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And that was a very physical job as well. Tracking is a very physical job. You you have to be able to move fast with the dog. So. So I enjoyed that aspect of it as well. Okay, so so could you tell me a bit more about tracking, what it entails? Because I've I've never I know that people work with dogs in the army, but it'd be great to hear from from the horse's mouth exactly what it's like. Yeah. Okay. So there are a number of lots of different types of uh, dog handler in in the army now in the military, mm. uh, and tracking is just one aspect of of, of what dogs can do. My dog mm. Troy. Was was a fact. He was a German Shepherd. He was a fantastic dog, um, and essentially, um, uh, there's there's a dog called the AES dog, Arms Explosive Search dog, right? So that dog okay. looks for the bolt guns and the 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 the, uh, the, the, the ammunition, etc. Um, mm. And when they find that, this is very simplified. This um, and, <laughs> and when they find that those bombs or whatever it is, they need to find the people that put them there. So then they call for me. Okay. The we, we, I okay. cast my dog. The, dog. the dog looks for the scent, and then off we go tracking that person. Um, so it's okay. a little bit more involved. In that. But essentially, that's mm. you. You're, you're looking for people. You're looking for the person, the bad person. Um, okay. And, and, and I, I guess that I guess that would be quite a dangerous element after all. You know, because if you find the person, then there's definitely a threat of 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 death or harm or or, or so forth. Well, it's it sounds like Karen. That that person doesn't want to get caught. <laughs> That's why they yeah. run. That's why they they fled. They don't want to be caught. 
So, uh, mm. so they will protect themselves or other people will protect them. So I would, if I was, say, in Belfast tracking someone, then I would have uh, a, a group of four guys behind me and they would be my protection. I'm busy working with the dog, watching the dog. I have to watch every, the move, every move of the dog um, to, mm. to try to decide what the dog is, is following. Um, yes. And I, my my uh, my um, my main concern is his safety and mine. Um, and, mm. and the guys behind me, they're the guys that are, are watching out for anyone that might be trying to stop us from tracking that quarry. Okay. And, uh, yes, it's quite a dangerous job, but it's a job, and that's what we did. That that was that was that's what I got paid to do. Uh, that mm. was my job. Well, I, I know that you've. You've got a great story, and I know that you, your story is one of hope, one of overcoming challenges, being able to do that with bless bless Mel that we'll we'll speak a bit more about after as well. But if you could just share um, some of your experiences around what has happened to you when when you're speaking about having the incident in the army that was absolutely life changing, could you share that a bit more with us? Yeah, certainly. Um... I was, it was, um, I suppose it's best, best to tell the story the way I tell it on the, uh, the, the presentations we do. Um, yeah. it was, it was the 25th of May, uh, 1991. And, uh, it was about half past five on a Saturday night. And we, myself and my, uh, colleague, Geordie, he was the AES handler that we spoke about earlier, the, the arms explosive search dog handler. Uh, he mm. and I, we were going to go down and feed the dogs about half past five uh, because we knew we'd be working in Belfast that night. Belfast was uh, uh, was getting quite busy. There was a lot of incidents going on in the city. Mm. We'd be busy that night. So we decided to feed the dogs early. Um, went down to where the dogs were at the back of the camp that we were in, the, the security base. And we were feeding the dogs when two members of the IRA uh, dropped uh, what, they, what we termed as a, a coffee jar bomb, quite literally a coffee jar. Uh, probably Maxwell House or Kenko or any of the other makes you can buy. Uh, um, they, they, this, this thing, it's a homemade grenade. So it's packed with Semtex and uh, what we used to call shipyard confetti, which is nuts, bolts, rivets, nails, screws, anything that's going to fly, maim and kill. So okay. these guys have dropped this bomb, uh, this grenade onto our heads from a building that was adjacent to us. Uh, this building's wow. owned by in fame so uh, we can't do anything about it. It, it, it we can't get them out of the building they, they have every right to be there and they dropped mm. this this bomb uh, down onto our heads uh we didn't see it obviously it came down landed at my feet um blew me on my backside and uh instantly killed geordie uh, wow um, uh very seriously injured he, he he was um he was dead before he hit the deck really um wow. His chest was blown open. He was missing his throat and his lower jaw. Um, he was dead as he hit the ground. I was sat uh, on the ground in this sort of dust and smoke and flame and uh, really just looked straight over at Geordie uh, and looked at him and shouted his name three or four times because to, to, I thought he was asleep. I, I, I don't know what. I, I didn't know what to think. Um, mm. I shouted at him, but there was no response. And then I looked at myself and looked down, and I could see that my my left leg was gone completely um, from above the knee. It was it was it had flown across a wall actually, um, and my right leg was hanging on by 
um, a, a little tether of skin and tendon. Mm. Uh, my two fingers on my right hand uh, were ripped open by one of the dog food tins, actually. <laughs> Your mum always says to you, never play around with sharp, tin, uh, sharp tins in the kitchen. Well, I picked up these <laughs> tins and, and the blast ripped, the, ripped my fingers uh, off. Um, mm. My left arm was dashed open and he lost my left arm as well. And I had various other injuries across my body, shrapnel injuries. Um, wow. And I just thought to myself, Jesus, I'm going to die. This is it. And it's going to really hurt in a minute. At the time, there was no pain at all. Um, so I just sat staring at myself, um, bleeding out onto the concrete in this security base in the middle of Belfast. Mm. So I, um, I looked down and I thought, well, I don't really want to die in pain. I know what I'll do. I'll shoot myself. Now, here's mm. the thing. <laughs> every single, I, this is my third tour in Northern Ireland, and every single day of every tour, I'd had a weapon on me, some form of weapon, uh, a pistol mm. or an assault rifle or whatever it was. And this, the, uh, so I've reached for this pistol, uh, which should have been mm. on my hip, and it wasn't. Um, wow. So I, I had every intention of uh, putting the trigger on myself um, because I really mm. didn't want it. Um, want to die in pain in this much pain mm. so I reached for this gun it's not there, uh, it wasn't there and I thought oh my god what's going to happen now and um, I'm not a religious person, I'm not a religious person but I, I kind of had it in my head that my nan who died about 18 months before um, I had it in my head that maybe she'll appear down this long tunnel or something and say Darren, Darren come to the light, come to the light come this way <laughs> and uh, <laughs> So I looked up at the sky expecting sort of or thinking this might happen. And uh, about 30 seconds later, I realized that's, that's not going to happen. It doesn't work like that. So I thought, well, I'm going to survive this. I better mm. start doing about it. I better start trying to save my life. So mm. I started raising my limbs and stopping the flow, of, trying to stop the flow of blood. Or you can imagine there was claret everywhere. And, um, mm. and so that was, that was me sat there trying to, Save my own life. Um, the guys, the other guys in the camp, Troy, my dog, um, he was involved in the blast. Both the dogs were with us. Um, Troy, he'd escaped any injury um, because he was inside his kennel. The kennel had mm -hmm. twisted up. And so he ran out and he ran round to what we called the guard room and mm. uh, started barking at the guys like Lassie would do, you know, come round and help my boss, yeah. help my boss. <laughs> yeah. The guys came flying round with Troy in, the, in front of him. And um, now in those days, as they do now, really, or should do, um, there's a thing called a soak period. So when a device goes off, when a bomb goes off, um, an explosion happens, uh, it's human instinct to go and help those people. Well, the terrorists... Mm. They take advantage of that and they put a secondary device there so the okay. people that go and help they then get um uh, blown up as well mm. so there's always this threat so the guys have come running around and they can't come anywhere near me and i know this because that's my job as well i would be doing the same as them i wouldn't go anywhere near me yeah. um, they kind of stood about 30 meters away and i realized that i needed to um i needed to get to them they can't come to me so I tried crawling. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried <laughs> crawling without using your legs, but it's really hard. It's a really hard thing to do. And mm. I ended up in circles. Anyway, eventually the guys um, felt sorry for me and they came running in. The stoke period should be two or three minutes. So they, um, yeah. they, they waited a bit of time and then came and started helping me. 
we didn't have very much medical equipment in those days. We didn't have a lot of uh, the stuff that the guys have got now. Um, so they basically used their T-shirts, combat jackets, anything they could get their hands on to put onto the stumps to, to help the, to stop the, or stem the flow of blood. Um, mm. And then two seconds later, this ambulance turns up, just a civilian ambulance, a normal ambulance turns up and and uh i'll cut the story a little bit short there's some funny things that happened really but but essentially they threw me in the back of this ambulance and off i went to the hospital which was about 90 seconds away um mm. uh, entonox in the back of the vehicle um entonox is a laughing gas basically and the mix was slightly wrong so i ended up giggling all the way to laughing um like a maniac uh, all the way to the hospital thinking this yeah. is a ridiculous thing on a Saturday afternoon, I'm sitting in the back of an ambulance at 90 miles an hour through the streets of Belfast. Um, and I thought it was just funny, just really, really funny. Uh, got to A&E. Um, they transferred me over onto a hospital gurney. And uh, mm-hmm. the two ambulance men went to take their blood-soaked trolley away. Um, and as they did, I bearing in mind, I'm still um, out of my head on this Entonox. Um I've leaned over and, and grabbed the tailcoat of this this uh, um, ambulance driver and tugged on his jacket. He turned around. I said, thanks very much, mate. Cheers. And he turned, back, he turned around in the broadest Belfast accent and said, never you, main bag man. You get better. And yeah. at that point, I went unconscious. Uh, woke mm. up four days later in t- intensive care and all bandaged up like a mummy. And um, drugs being pumped in into me um left right and center and um a few days after that i was transferred to woolwich um southeast london to the military hospital as was then and uh my recovery from there and that was how i ended up with no legs basically (laughs) Um, wow what a story oh gosh i mean oh gosh (laughs) that is that is such a story um and, and i'm just thinking about you being in that experience you know like I, i'm so glad that you i'm so glad that you wasn't carrying a gun at that point you know you you know i i know that it was meant for you not to have that gun you know because it's clear that you have have gone through a lot of difficulty, you've gone through a lot of challenge, but you are now an inspiration to many, many people, you know? So instead of you, if you had that gun and you could have brought relief to yourself, right now, you wouldn't be bringing relief to thousands of people. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Hey, maybe my nan was there. Maybe my nan was there, right? Um, I should have had that pistol on me. It should have been on my hip. Um, And it wasn't. And and every, you know, I I, I just, I marvel at that, that it wasn't there. And I I am glad, as you say, I'm glad that that gun wasn't there um, Mm -hmm. now. But at the time, I felt that that was the only route for me to take. And Mm -hmm. and that I I needed to take that route. Um, I I am eternally grateful that it wasn't there now, um, as you said said that um it was it was yeah that was that moment that was probably my yeah the the, the darkest moment i suppose in many or reflection uh, yeah the moment. 
Um, mm-hmm. But I, I had, I had um, when I got to uh, the hospital, I was about three weeks uh, initially. I was in the hospital for three weeks and um, started to make a recovery. And, and I had this team of nurses that was um, constantly um, bathing me and, and, and dealing with me every day. And, mm. and, uh, and sometimes I had two or three baths a day uh, just to yeah. keep the clean, etc. And yes. um, I, I realized that I needed to start doing something for myself. And I, 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 um, I came off a lot of the drugs that I was on, morphine, excuse me, morphine and um, various uh, other drugs, pain relief drugs, because I realized they weren't doing me any favors. Uh, yeah. I needed to take charge. I needed to to do something for myself, become independent. I needed some independence back. Mm. So I asked the doctor, I asked one of the doctors, I said, look, any chance um, I could have a bath on my own, just do something for myself? And uh, he wasn't keen. Um, mm. but, uh, he said, look, leave the door ajar. Leave, don't lock the door. Just have a bath, but be very careful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, great. So I jumped yeah. in the bath like I had a bath, jumped up onto the side, and then transferred over into my um, my wheelchair, and I span mm. round to the towel. And uh, as I did, because the bathroom door had always been open, um, mm. with this six or seven nurses in there, there's no room to have the door shut. So the bathroom door was always open. Now the yes. bathroom door is shut, and on the back of the bathroom door is a full length mirror. And okay. Run round to grab this towel. And I'm facing myself in this full-length mirror and this is wow. the first time i've seen myself since i got blown up prior to this wow. I, was, I was six foot two i was a strapping soldier infantry soldier um not terribly good looking but hey that's you don't think <laughs> and um and, and 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 now i'm sat there in this wheelchair and i can see all the scars and the stitch marks and the staple marks and the, the marks where they put the drugs into me um and i look a mess an absolute mess and I sat there for maybe 15, 20 minutes just staring at myself. And I didn't start yeah. crying or wailing or anything like that. I didn't curl up in a ball. I just sat there staring at myself. Yeah. And after about 15, 20 minutes, I realized that this I have a choice here. I have one of two things. I can put my chin on my chest and let the work nurses here wipe my backside for the rest of my life. Or I can pick my chin up and get on with the rest of my life. So mm. that, that was the point I decided to do something about my predicament, to do something mm. about what was this this new life, this new life. Mm. And a nurse once said to me that um, one way of looking at trauma or injury when something happens to you is think of it as, um, and this isn't a religious thing, but think of it as being born again. You're starting all over again. And quite literally, I had to learn to walk again. I had to mm. learn to do everything. This was a new life. This was a completely different life. Um, mm. Far from the life I had before. So I yeah. made that decision to start again. To, to That was zero. That was me being born again. And mm. so that's what I've done. And I've just gone on with this new life. I'm 20, 29, 30 years into this new life now. I'm still a young yeah. man. No, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so, so, so that's that's kind of the way I it, that worked for me. It may work for other people as well. I don't know, but 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 it, it, that worked for me, and I and I still remind myself of that now. I still think you know this is 
you know, I'm not what I was. I'm something mm. new. Um, yeah. Wow. Um, what has been some of the most difficult aspects in the change of life? Because you're saying like you have to start again. I, I get that being and being born again. I get that sometimes that's that is the kind of analogy that is the kind of experience that we do need to be able to to start again you know and 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 and, and to 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 develop a a new a new uh, mark in the sand to be able to move forward but what has been some of the the most difficult challenges in a sense of developing this new lifestyle you know you six foot two strapping strapping young man and um and then now uh, this surreal moment looking in a mirror it must have been a definite life-changing moment where you came out um but but what is what is what was the challenge for you the practicalities um well there, there was the obvious physical challenges um using a wheelchair i'd never used a wheelchair mm. before army, but mm. why would i ever i'd never been in a wheelchair um so there was that sort of thing and then learning to walk again in my new prosthetics that yeah. was months down the line but once i got my new pro my prosthetic legs metal legs which were very basic nothing like the ones that i've got i use now um mm. and learning to use them so there's the obvious obvious physical challenges and a lot of those yes. challenges come from our environment it's not actually the disability it's the environment you're trying to move around in <laughs> now hospitals yeah. are quite because they're built for things on wheels trolleys wheelchairs whatever um but um outside of the hospital back at home um around the streets of london just trying to negotiate just trying to move from a to b was was a challenge mm. the other big challenge is, is and, and this is something that's talked about quite a lot nowadays is it was the was the mental health side the the yes. diagnosed with ptsd but um and, and i've i've in the early days there was lots of struggle there wasn't the recognition of it that there is now um so mm. you, just get on. you just had to get on with it and i was really really yeah. fortunate. i was surrounded by some really good people some great medical uh staff uh, some some fantastic medics and clinicians um i had mm. access to some of the best medical help on the planet at the time mm. uh, british, british military medics um and so dealing with that was was eased by them but but you there's there's a lot you have to do for yourself and i i i i struggled with that from from time to time uh, mm. i did still did from time to time but i kind of um i've got used to reminding myself where i once was um and, mm. and, and basically giving myself a kick up the backside every now and then mm. uh, i listen yeah. i'm a four listener right and um and I listened to someone on Radio 4. I can't, remember, can't even remember the program now. I do apologize. But, but there was a guy on there. And I think the, the subject they were talking about was, was drugs and drug addiction. And this guy, he, he used an analogy. He said he, he learned through therapy. He learned that the, the drug addiction is always there, like alcoholism as well, perhaps. It's always there. It's a big black hole. And what you do, you were once in that hole and you learned to climb out. Mm. Now learn to circumnavigate that hole you walk around the edge of that hole and i mm. think that was a good analogy and I'd, I'd very much uh, liken that to mental health um yes been down into the pit of despair as someone might call it but you know if you've been down to the lowest point you've managed to yes. climb out with help with therapy or perhaps you've done it yourself you climb out that hole is always there 
that hole is there. Mm. You, to mm. you might even teeter on the edge a couple of times. Yeah. You learn to stay away from that hole or learn to deal with the fact that that hole is there. And that's, mm. that's what I think I've done um, over the years. I think I've managed to do that. Um, don't yes. get me wrong, my partner, um, she, she'd probably argue <laughs> that, uh, yeah, I, I can be a right pain in the butt. <laughs> I find there are lots, lots of things, that I, lots of tactics that I use um, if I feel I'm going downhill mentally. Um, mm. Physical, I just stay fit and well and just, just you know, strong it out. But, yeah. um, uh, and that's, that's the easy part, really, to be fair, the physical side. Um, mm. we talk about sports I do they they help a lot with that yeah yeah I'm interested in that in a sense of you said that there's a few things that you do um, if you see yourself going down you know down that that path um, what are, are the things that you could give us some examples in, in, in what in what sense in the sport in, in, in a sense when you're speaking about there's some things that you do to change um, your mental health to get it positive if you're going down like a negative yeah um well here at home um you know if i if i feel i'm um going a little bit downhill with regards to mental health then um i generally take myself off um have a word with myself um and i often mm. find that doing something physical helps now i've got yes. quite a, i've got a few acres of land here and there's a lot of trees on there and those trees need managing so i need to cut a few down here and there, prune a few, whatever I need to do. Mm. And I find going out with a chainsaw and lats and and, and and doing something. <laughs> it could take me, because I've got no legs, it, it could take me a whole day to take down one tree and then log it up ready for burning. Mm. I, I I find that a massive boost and a real help to, to actually sweat and do something physical. Yes, yes. it's an act instruction as well and the, the psychologists out there might might have something to say about that it is an act <laughs> uh, and yeah. i am a bloke at the end of the day but but you know, yes. I, I find that that doing something like that helps um um you know just doing something something worthwhile something with a benefit yes. at the end of it, uh would walk mm. into it, but but also something that is almost mundane in its uh as you do it it's a mundane thing to do um, yes you don't you don't have to think too much you do have to think especially if you've got a live chainsaw in your hands um but it's it's a pretty sort of mundane task to be doing and i i i enjoy that i it helps me straighten out my head sometimes um mm. so that's one tactic that i might use or, or just um you know as you can tell, I'm quite a talker and just talking through with people. And just, mm. I've got lots of ex, ex military friends, uh, yes. um, some friends in the, in, the, in the military still serving. Um, and and I'll, I'll, they'll think nothing if I ring them up and just say, I've just fancied a chat, mate, see how you're doing. Um, yeah. We can often chat through some stuff. And there's no, not even a mention of mental health or I'm feeling a bit low or I'm feeling a bit down. Yeah. Yeah. And you just feel a little bit, yeah, that's that's cool. I'm cool. I'm good with it. You know? Yeah. It's just, just being able to work through. Yeah, it's, it's just being able to work through stuff in it. They say that with mental health, one of the best solutions is being heard, is having a conversation, and it's being able to get past that mechanism of feeling that you don't need anybody, you know, and, and you know, suffering things by yourself unnecessarily, which in a lot of, a lot of men do. 
um, because they feel that they need to look like they've got it all together. But it, it takes great courage to be able to sh just share your vulnerability, to share that it ain't all together, you know. So, so it's good that it's good that there's nothing nothing truer than than the fact that you are not on your own. Um, mm. Your situation is not unique. There are other people out there with similar, if not the same, situations. And, and yes. so there are someone, there is someone to talk to. You are not on your own. Um, mm. You're not the only person in the world with this problem. Um, and there's yeah. work that mind sometimes as well. Yeah. I, I mean, just having this talk with you right now is so pertinent. And I'm very inspired. I mean, Swifty, I am. I'm taken aback by a lot of what you've you've said during this talk, but it's 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 also been like it's been challenging my thinking, especially around what's going on now, where a lot of people are going through crisis, a lot of people are going through um, situations that are unpredictable situations that are out of out of their control and so forth, and. I just really wanted to ask you, you know, some of some of the things that you've done to be able to overcome personal crisis. You know, what are some of the things that you would say or speak to people now that are going through this whole issue that we're going through as a society around COVID nineteen, and you know, the, just the the consequences of that and the impact that it's having on jobs, it's having on uh, people's financial situations, having on people's relationships having on some people's mental health and so forth, but with the things that you have gone through and the things that you've overcome, you know, you, you, you've you've lived this life, you know, so what was what were some of the things that you would share with people um, to help them to get the right mental state or, or to, to overcome some of their challenges? Um, I think, well, this, this, this challenge we're in at the moment is, is you, could, you could argue it's, it is unique, isn't it? Um, yes, um, the world has it has been here before, but before <laughs> uh, the the great plague, maybe uh, I, I don't know. We're 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 all in this together. That's yes. something to, to really at the top of it um, is at the top of it. We're all in this together. Nobody exact is exempt from this. And Boris Johnson being in hospital now in intensive care, um, that's mm. proof that this it doesn't dis discriminate this disease. It yes. Means, it will get anyone. Um, mm. None of us are entitled. <laughs> so I think, I think, for me, it's about um, keeping busy. Um, yeah, yeah. Being having something to do, and I, I've seen on on Facebook and on on, on all the uh, media channels, uh, there's lots of people saying bored and bored and bored, and I'm, no, no, no. Come on, there's got to be. You can't be bored. There's stuff mm. that you need to do and been yeah. putting off. Why do you just get stuck into that? And sometimes, you know, those, those that, that horrible little job, whatever it was, cleaning the kitchen sink out or something, whatever. The, the, mm. the, 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 go and do something, and 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 you, it will make you feel better because you've you've done that job that you you didn't you didn't really want to do, and now you kind of forced to do it, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, boredom. <laughs> Um, and I think, I think yes. it's probably the, the, the worst thing of all this is people feeling bored. And there's no need yes. for any bored. Um, yes, you mm. can see it on TV and, and, and Netflix and all the rest of it. And there's yeah, yeah, Playstations and that to go on. But 
you know, something a bit more practical and something a bit more um, do something that's productive. Find something. Mm. Uh, hey, or listen to a podcast that's productive. I don't know. <laughs> do yeah. something that's productive, um, and that that can make you feel a whole lot better. You might not realize it at the time, but after the event, after the, the whatever it is you've done, you you'll feel a whole lot better. Um, yeah. So that 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 yeah. Just I don't know. Maybe maybe it's just me. I, just keep it busy. Mm. Well, you know something. Listening to your story, listening to your real life. Um, and what you've gone through and how you've had to overcome obstacles, things that, that were unplanned and developing an attitude um, to overcome it. I, I, I really have a great admiration for you that you um, have not, you've not allowed it to define you. You've not allowed it to stop you. You're doing things that able-bodied people are not doing or are yet to do. And I feel that that is 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 a real great a real great example because i guess it all starts with the mind and 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 as we go back into your story and and you're sat in that chair um and 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 looking in that mirror and and you're there for 15 minutes you're there and you've got a you've got a choice to make and it's 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 almost like an innate choice because it's a choice that has to be made with the heart. It's a choice that has to be made with who you are as a person anyway. And that person decided that I'm going to do something with my life. I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to change. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to do something, not be a victim, but I'm going to do something that is going to be, is, is going to be significant. So I think that it's, it's really fantastic what you've done to make that decision and then build your life day at a time to get to the point that you're at now. So could you share some of the work that you're doing right now um, with Blesma? And, 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 and um, yeah, just let us know more about what you're currently doing right now. Yeah, sure. I, I think in many ways, you just said something there that really struck a chord with me. Um, it's, it's, I decided, uh, and you quite rightly said, not to be a victim. Mm. And a lot of what what we do um, within Blesma and, and various other um, uh, military, ex-military charities that I'm involved with is, is, tell, is try and put our stories across to people and trying to say to them very subtly, um, there's no need to be a victim. You don't need to be a victim of whatever your situation is. Do not see yourself as a victim. Um, mm. you know, if you, do you want, I suppose the first question in, in people, do you want is do you want to survive? Do you want to go forward? Yes. Um, or are you prepared to put you know your head down and just bin it now. You know is that mm. is that what, you want? what what do you want? What do you want? And there's your start point and where yes. you want it to. Um, mm. And then work out a route, a journey. What's that journey yes. going to look like? Um, to in fairness, when I was sat in front of that mirror back in the hospital, um, uh, mm. all those years. Um, I had no idea what was in front of me. I had no idea. Yeah. I didn't mm -hmm. have a clue. It was an abyss. And I was stood yeah. on the edge. But, hey, you know, I, I didn't want to go the other way. I know, I know I didn't want to go the other way behind me. I wanted to go forward. So that's where I started. And so what, a lot of, what we do with, with Blesma and that, we work a lot in schools and various other places well within the NHS and, uh, and the prison service as well, in fact. Um, yeah. And... 
and we and we, we we go in we tell our story and it's in the it's and we have we go in in the form of a workshop so mm. a couple of us or, or one of us will we, we'll tell our story blood and guts and everything a little bit more graphic than what i just did earlier on with you guys actually because <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, kids love that you know um <laughs> but um but 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 we, we'll tell our story, and then and we're not saying to them, "Look, look how horrific my story is. Anything you've got is nothing. It pales into insignificance." We are not saying that to them. What we're saying yeah. is, "Look, look at what we did, and look at the tools we are now using to mm. get past that, to move on." And yes. as you said at, the, at the top of the show, the success, how in, in whatever whatever you qualify success as. How do you be that? How do you be that? And so that's the reason why we go into the schools and, and, and wherever it is we're doing talk some corporates as well. A lot of a lot of the big corporate companies ask us mm -hmm. to do motivational resilience talks to them as well. Okay. And so that, that's what we go in to do. Uh, and 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 it's been the 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 program we're doing is, is called MGR. This is the Blesma program, uh, yes. making generation R R standing for resilience. And mm -hmm. it's been hugely successful. I can't, I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, I'm going to throw this figure out, and I think it's true. Something like fifty or sixty thousand children have been uh, have experienced one of our workshops across the mm -hmm. country, um, from the very north of Scotland to the very tip of Cornwall. Um, every every, the, every these children have have experienced what we've done. And when I say these children, I mean all schooling. Um, uh, something I do quite a lot of, I seem to get um, uh, uh, hammered with a lot of the PRUs, uh, that's pupil referral units, which is some yeah. of the most uh, 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 um, deprived children in the country, uh, the worst off. And, and I really, really enjoy doing those schools. Um, sometimes you might only have a class of four or five. Four or five children have decided to turn up that day. And you will do a talk to them, but they are the most rewarding. They really are. The mainstream schools are fantastic. Um, mm. They enjoy doing them as well. But but when you go into a PRU, you can really see the impact of your story. And yeah. as you continue with the workshop, because we sit there with them after, we don't just tell the story and then go away. We tell the story and then we sit around and talk it through. We draw some pictures and we we name these notional people, um, give them a name and a uh, an age and we give them a problem an issue um mm. and then we, how how is this issue affecting this person and it could be drug abuse it could be alcohol abuse it could be whatever numerous ways this 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 person could be affected and it's just an imaginary person and mm. then ask them how they might deal with that and how they might help that person get past that and move onwards and it's an amazing transformation these children uh, and young 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 adults um, really do um, give us so much back. Um, and I think I said to you before we started the show that the, the letters we get, the the the, the emails and the, the letters we get from them, um, they really would bring a tear to a glass eye. Sometimes they they're, they're just packed with emotion um, and, and making you feel really emotional as well. Actually, um, it really is just a fantastic thing to be involved in. And to see the end result, uh, and, and a child coming up to you, uh, there was one child. I won't name the school or, or, or the child, but there was one young lad, um, quite a big lad. And um, 
I think he was a bit of the he was like the, the school hard man, I think. And mm. um, talked with his fists more than his uh, his head. Uh, anyway, he um, we did this talk and he came down off the, the bleachers where the, all, it was maybe 200 children. Uh, he came down off the bleachers and he came through all the throng, all these other kids shaking our hands and what have you. And he came up and he said, thank you very much, sir. Thank you. I really appreciate your story. Thank you very much. And then, mm. and he, went on, he moved out of the room. And the teacher, his, his teacher came up after. He said, that is unbelievable. That child has never shaken anyone's hand. Uh, mm. And he has never, ever called anyone sir. <laughs> uh, he said, you have absolutely transformed that child's life, uh, that boy's life, and uh, young man, young man's life. And, and, mm. and that, really, for me, was, was, a, was a lovely moment. Um, to think that this 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 kid um, might just take this something away from this talk and mm -hmm. uh, change the way he's doing things. Uh, wow! So oh that, gosh, that, that's what we do as part of the MGR. There's about I think there's about fifty or sixty of us now that that do the talks, and we're all we're all um, part of the Wiz community, which is the wounded, injured, and sick community. That's um, mm. we're all veterans, um, and mm we go around the country um doing these workshops um and as i said before it's a, been a huge huge success way beyond what we predicted maybe five six years ago um yeah it's, it's been a success yeah well uh, I don't know if I asked then herman <laughs> what, what oh gosh um i don't know what to say um I mean, we're, we're nearly finishing now. I've been quite emotional listening to this. Um, it's, it's touched me, it really has touched me. Um, just your story, your courage, who you are as a person, your character. You know, when you want, when you, like I see the thread of it, you know, when I go back into your story and I go back into you being a young boy at primary school and enjoying your dad, um, when he would come back from going on his his journeys as as as, as a, a driver and wants to be with him and wants to travel and that, you know everything that you've done and even though you've gone through what you've gone through you've not lost who you are you've not lost that person that still wants to do expeditions that still wants to jump out of a plane that still wants to go down. Um, a hill you know on snow on your knees you know you've not lost it and and even beyond not losing it you've extended who you are because you've done things you never dreamt of doing and you've done things that people say that you can't do and you know i i really find it very inspiring and and very encouraging and you know just to force to wrap up um i want to ask you what what would you say to your 21 year old self you know if you was able to have a conversation now with that 21 year old um what would you what would you say to them i think well first and foremost i'd say if you if you if you see a bomb coming down on top of you move out of the way uh run <laughs> um, uh, no i think i think i'd say to them look enjoy enjoy your life enjoy what's coming Mm. And the bad stuff, 
make the bad stuff work for you. Make it, make yeah. it, make something happen. Make something good come from the bad stuff. And then it's not bad stuff anymore, is it? Um, mm. Use use every experience you get, the good and the bad. Soak it up and use that yeah. experience, and and try mm. and allow it almost. All, I suppose allow it to help define you to make you what you are you said there that you you, you think that you know uh, this this is i've 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 used all this stuff or these i've been this personality i think a lot of what's happened to me has made my personality made me the way i am in the mm. last 30 years um yeah. as i say the good and the bad stuff um utilize mm. the bad stuff use it it's fuel mm. it's fuel use it um, yeah. and then it no longer becomes bad stuff i don't know um yeah that's a deep deep thing to be thinking about isn't it what do you say to your 21 year old self i do feel i mean i i, I was always a lot a, a joker i was always mucking about a joker in the army i've got myself into trouble with it a few times as well and yeah. uh i'd probably say look you know just just try and get a bit more serious about some things <laughs> uh but mm. don't humor never lose your sense of humor um, yeah you you've got to keep perspective on things and and through this coronavirus thing that we're going through now we it's very hard to, to have a perspective when you don't see any end goal any any end point um but mm. but you know if we just keep a little bit of perspective and make the most of what we've got make the most of being stuck at home with your family um uh, it's it's um it's it's important that we that we use this time perhaps we're, we're all forced into this time so let's use it i want to say thank you so much darren i'm really touched by your life i don't even think it's just the story because i know that behind the story there's a backstory and there's things that you won't be able to put into words. There's moments that there's language doesn't exist yet to articulate it. And you've overcome that inner war and the outer war. And I just want to say, um, I'm so glad that there wasn't a gun on your hip. Because as you said, even just throwing figures out and it's, you know, I, I really believe that it is that and even more that around 50,000 young people have been touched by your story. That's not even talking about adults that are touched by your story. That's not even talking about um, veterans that if they never heard your your voice of hope, you know, their story would be very different. So I want to say I I salute you and I celebrate you and your life is so meaningful and significant and i'm sure if everyone that 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 is listening to this podcast if they were able to to share it with you they would and i just want to say i just want to say thank you and um i just want to say thank you for paying the price because you've paid the price to still have a can-do attitude and have an optimistic viewpoint so thank you very much and I, I've, I'm, I'm so privileged and we're all privileged for you to be on the show today
So are there any final words you want to share before we before we end? Um, I stay safe, everyone. Stay safe. Um, yeah. Stay indoors and stay safe. Um, and yeah. let's get this. Let's get through this, and maybe, maybe, um, maybe we'll do another podcast at some point in the future uh, after this, and uh, with other yeah. people, uh, yeah. and see how they got through this. See how they got yes. through this uh, this dilemma. Thank you for joining us. And if you want to find out more about Darren, you can visit his website, darrenswift.co.uk and you can find him on social media. And please tell me how you found the podcast by writing a short review as it would be great to hear your thoughts. All the best.